Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be with you this morning and share in God's word with you this morning and worship through music and worship through the word. And as we do just that, we're going to go to Psalm 78 this morning. As you get to turning there, it's, it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning and gather with God's people, the church, and what a small ministry world it is. This is Pastor Dennis, um, who I've grown to know and love this weekend. Um, we have many connections along the way. Um, Tony Wolf is a great friend of mine, um, and even smaller world in the theme and spirit of Disciple Now Weekend, Ethan Wolf, his son, is one of our Disciple Now leaders coming up in a few weeks. And so the world just gets smaller as we go. I've had the blessing of leading alongside Matthew and the Watago Five. Anyone know of them? Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but down in Stockville, Texas last year, we got to co-lead a Disciple Now Weekend. And so um, such an incredibly small world. But I think the, the tidbit that I'd love to end with in that portion of just intro here is, is there is a, a guy in here that wasn't always a, a, a man, uh, but he was a boy. And many of you know him. His name's Nathan McKendry. Um, he, he grew up in the area and my bride comes from a generations of teachers that taught and graduated from Keller uh, ISD. And my wife had this young man, Nathan McKendry, in her fourth grade class. And so uh, we go back a little ways. And so it's just a joy uh, to see all the intertwining of relationships. And, and what we're really getting at is God's people. And it's a family. And we're networked all over the place. Y'all have had people in um, First Baptist Church, Corinth, where I'm from, served there as a student pastor for 10 years as of this coming month. Uh, you've had people in our home church there just loving and praying for y'all this weekend. I've gotten texts and different things along the way uh, this weekend that, that people are just praying for what God's doing here. And so grateful to be with you this morning. Um, my wife, uh, Rachel, my wonderful, beautiful wife, um, is is there in our home in our church with with our kids? We have four kids, um, and and they are all just an absolute blast. And uh, we have uh, one on the way through adoption. Uh, we long and prayerfully long to soon bring home. Um, his name is Micah, and uh, we just long to travel and bring him home and um, be together. And so, just a little bit about my family as we get into this, because the spirit of this morning really is about the generations reaching the next generation. Um, if you think about it, we are really just just one generation away from the next generation, not knowing the word of God, not knowing the stories of his word, the truth of scripture. And we have been given this incredible task as the Lord has redeemed us and, and, and called us to be his own. We have been adopted as his children. He puts in motion this incredible journey of making disciples to see him for all that he is, but to the point that we would be transformed and equipped and to go out. And going out starts right here in this space because, man, we have the generations in here to make disciples of the generations who will then make disciples. And so that is a, the spirit of this text this morning as we get into it. Um, you know, I, some of you are, are, are lovers of statistics and you like numbers and I like numbers a little bit, but then you start talking accounting and I took accounting 101 and 102 and I stopped there, all right? And I started heading toward theology and all things in that direction. But um, 72 million people in Gen Z in the United States of America. Can you believe that? 72 million people in Generation Z. 
If you were to put them in comparison to the population of states, they would be the largest state in the U.S. by 30 million people. Gen Z, if you just took the population of Gen Z, they'd be the largest state in the U.S. by 30 million people. They would be the 26th largest country in the world. If you just took Gen Z in the U.S., um, 56 point, uh, 57.6 million people, according to a Barna Group study, say that, that, that of Gen Z, say that the church isn't important. And so we see this growing uh, trend toward this next generation not knowing the significance of God's people. Um, according to the International Mission Board, a, a, a number they put out there this last year, 155 1,252 people die without Christ daily. Man, aren't we grateful for our International Mission Board, our North American Mission Board, who we partner with, the, the, our, our state convention that we get to love and, and partner with. Guess what? Those things exist because the local church on the ground comes together to cooperate together and see gospel ministry done all around the globe. And we're grateful for that. But this number is just startling this morning. But this is a statistic that I believe we can all hold to and really reflects our theme of the weekend, irreplaceable. There is no other substitute. A hundred percent of this generation needs Jesus. Amen. A hundred percent of this generation, students, a hundred percent of your generation needs Jesus. A hundred percent of my generation needs Jesus. 100% of every generation in this world, in this room, needs Christ. And so as we look into this morning, may we be reminded, Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. More and more, the nations are coming to us. The nations start right here in the midst of the generational discipleship that he called us to. And so may we be reminded, that, that, that Christ's last command was to make disciples and may his last command be our first concern. May his last command be the thing that we care about most and making disciples so that we can see more in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, uh, we, we talk about the living hope. We've been in First Peter. I have a heart to go through the scripture as I know your church has a very great rhythm of as well to, to show the stories of the scripture and teaching of the word. We've been going through First Peter 1 and 2. Uh, this weekend. And as we uh, settle down in, in Psalm 78, the whole idea is here, we want the next generation to know of the living hope that First Peter tells us about, as Matthew read this morning, as we began to worship through songs, for the next generation to know the living hope. And so let's look at this together. Verse one of Psalm 78 says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark things from of old, things that you have heard and known, and then get this, this is where we start to see this pattern, that our fathers have told us. Verse four, we will not hide them from our children, from their children, but tell the coming generation, what are we gonna tell them? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and imported a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, teach to their children that the next generation, get this, the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, thinking about even the next generation, and arise and tell them to their children. Why? 
so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so may we see and be reminded of our mission ahead of us as we look forward to the living hope that we have, setting things behind us in our life that Christ died for, moving forward to the one who is irreplaceable. May we long to tell the next generation. May we long to see the generation beyond them come to know Christ as well. May it be that we don't look to the generation just in the sense of what year were you born in, but the next generation could be sitting in here in two weeks when one of these students goes into their school, goes into their places they live, work, and play, and they share the gospel with a friend, and that person comes to know Christ. And then we have another generation of believers in the room because someone went and shared, right? And, and so may we see just some truths out of God's word this morning that we can glean from this. Uh, we have three big ideas this morning, three big real questions of, of, of what we can pull from this. Look, what are we to remember? What are we to remember? Here you have the, the, the psalmist who reflecting on some things and, and therefore putting in forward motion some things that he knows he has to live out and God's people must be obedient to. But here, what we are to remember, first off, the faithfulness of God. Can we just take a moment and remember the faithfulness of God and you see it throughout all of the stories in the scripture, but even for us that have been walking with Christ for some time, I would encourage us to stop and pause and just look back on your own life amidst the circumstances, the valleys, the mountaintops, but the way you were able to walk through those circumstances because of the joy of the Lord and how God was faithful in those things. And may we remember the times that God has just proven himself faithful and reflect and remember the faithfulness of God. We can look at the stories all throughout the Old Testament as our students have been in, yes, First Peter 1 and 2, but they've also been in Exodus and they've been in Isaiah and they've seen all the Old Testament stories point to Christ. And may we see that God's faithfulness to the Old Testament pushes forward to what he would do ultimately through his son, Jesus. And then what we are to remember also, I believe, is the obedience of believers. Um, here we see that there was a generation that was not faithful, but I would love for us to think about for a moment. Let's flip that coin. Let's think about the obedience of the believers in our lives, the, the people that were faithful in the midst of God's faithfulness. Think about this with me. Who told you about Christ? Think about that. How did you come to faith in Jesus? Certainly the Lord did a work on your heart. Somebody might have been praying for you and the Spirit just started to move in the midst of pressing your attention toward the glory of God. But ultimately, I believe for every one of us, someone shared the word of truth with us so we could believe the word of truth so that that spirit could dwell inside of us, as Ephesians 1 tells us. And so who was obedient to the gospel mission to the point that you came to know Christ? Because I'm grateful for those people in my life. I can remember their names. I can remember their faces in many of our conversations whether it was a vacation Bible school and someone was sharing the gospel or someone was my crew leader, whether it was an Awana leader who was helping me memorize scripture. For me, one of the people in my life that was a, is a spiritual anchor in my life is my mom who was the church pianist in my home church for 35 years. And man, she 
got me to church. I think more than the pastor was there. You know, it seemed sometimes in the midst of just, we were there practicing with behind the scenes with everything. And just being in the house of the Lord just set my mind on some of those things at an early age. And, and, but my mom, man, she was the one that, that, that opened the word with us and led us to the scriptures and so forth. My mom and my dad being a church going family pointed me to Christ. But somebody shared the gospel with me one day and it's like the first time I heard it, even though I'd heard it many times over and it clicked. So the obedience of believers, we have that obedience to go, but somebody was obedient to go and that's why we're here. So looking back at what God has done should propel us toward what we have ahead. Just as students, we looked at the living hope. We have living hope because of these things because of Jesus and the resurrection, which is why we gather today on Sunday morning. But we look ahead because of that and a living hope means some things in our life too, right? With our obedience and what is next. And so what we are to do, I believe this scripture. So the first thing, what we are to remember, the second big idea and the question is, what are we to do? So what we are to do, I believe the first thing we see through here is we should teach them the word. We should teach the generations the word. The coming generations, we should raise them up in who God is. And I, I think there's a couple of ways we can look at this. First off, we can look at it as we teach them the scripture. We teach them the scripture. God has given us his written word. We teach them the scripture. I love the fact that this church has a rhythm of leading children and memorizing God's word, hiding it in our hearts so we don't sin against him, warning against sinfulness so we can walk in a certain way. We'll talk th about that in just a bit in this passage. But here we, we teach them the word. Deuteronomy 6 was the rhythm I believe God meant us to be in. Not an all-you-can-eat buffet on Sunday morning so we can spiritually starve ourselves through the week just to get to the buffet on time the next Sunday or Wednesday night, but to feast on it as our daily bread that nothing else can replace day in and day out. And so let's lead that in this generation. What has he said what, what has he said? Verse five, he says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So what he has said, what he has done. And, and we see that in the scripture here in verse four, we will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and wonders that he has done. Church, family, we can look at the scripture and point back to the things that God has done. We want our students to be in love with the holy God. Let's give them a glorious king. Let's give them a glorious God, not because we made that up and made it something that's not. No, because he's, he is what he is and he always will be who he said he would be. And he is glorious. And we can look back to the scripture and we can point to all that God has done throughout the generations. And we can say, students, generation, look at who God is. I gave this illustration to our students this weekend, and I, I would love for us to just reconsider it for a moment as we're one people this morning across the generations. But you, you've been in a place possibly before when someone walked into the room or something happened in a certain direction and you saw people's face and their demeanor shift, whether it was excitement or fear, or whatever that might've been. Famous person walks in the room and they're like, that's really that. And you see someone's response and your inkling is to go, I got to look in the direction they're looking because their face, everything about their demeanor right now is telling me there's something worth looking at. Church, if we would look to Jesus in this manner, 
if we would look to him and see the glorious deeds for ourselves, and taste and see that the Lord is good and, 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 and look to him, man, would this generation naturally look to him as well. So we look to the scripture, but then I also ask this, how many of you have stories that the Lord longs to use in your life and he's lived a life through you and told a story through you in a way that, that you can point not to your own life's glory, but to the glory of God because it's how he's worked through your life. And so we tell the, the, the stories, we teach the scripture. Um, the stories being told is such a significant thing. I love watching movies with my family and some of these movies that we watch, man, it may kick off with uh, one generation gathered with the children around and they're telling the tales of generations past and kind of setting the scene in the movie. And you can possibly think of a few movies like this, but they're telling the scene of the movie and that sets the stage for what's to come. It makes those, those, those uh, players in the movie, the, 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 whatever it might be, whether it's a, a, a fairy tale of some sort or a sports movie or a movie revolved around uh, just, just raising up families amidst a plantation, whatever it might be, they, they're telling stories to the generation of past generations and it means something for, of where they will go, how they will live. May we do this. May we do this. May we highlight the stories. If you were to read Psalm 78 in full, you would see just this. And so I encourage you, giving you some homework to see it in all of its context, to go beyond verse eight and look at the stories. You see in verse nine, the giving of the law. In verse 13, you see God parting the Red Sea. You see God's guidance through the wilderness. In verse 15 and 16, you see his provision for food. And fast forward to verse 30 and 31, you see God's judgment against sin. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. In verse 38 and 39, you see God's mercy toward his people. Aren't we grateful for his mercy and the cross? In verse 45, it starts talking about God's signs and wonders against Egypt. And then God's victory in verse 55 and provision of land. And the story continues. But I, I, I ask us, can we, can we tell the stories? Can we teach the scripture? Students, I'm not simply speaking to another generation in the room. I'm asking you, you've seen and tasted this weekend that the Lord is good. And I'm asking, pleading with you, one of the greatest missionaries in a country is oftentimes someone who is native there. I have IMB missionary friends in several countries. And one of the things they love to do is equip and release people that are from that country to go and make disciples. Because what they find oftentimes is that someone will listen to the people that are native to their tongue and native to their home, more so than maybe someone who flew in and has lived there maybe a short time in relation to their family and the generations that have come before them. What I'm getting at with this is you are the greatest missionary of your generation. May you tell the stories. May you share the scripture. May you evangelize the lost because you've encountered a holy God that you are exalting. You're being equipped. Go evangelize, right? Let's go share. Let's go share. You are the one that will lead your friend to Christ far before Nathan and I will. And I say that to say, invite them to church. Church, invite your friends to church. But my next door neighbor that we've been praying for for five, six years, one of their family members came to Christ just this last year without ever stepping into a church service. And I don't think they ever would have. But now that 
once 15-year-old, now 17-year-old, is attending church nearly every week without his family because there's like a, just a, he's, he's got to get up in the morning and get with God's people. And now the Lord, we're starting to see him work on his parents' heart. And we're like, Lord, do your thing. Do a mighty work. May they see the glorious deeds and the stories throughout their own child's life. And so here we, we teach the scripture. We teach the stories, but we teach them the word. So what are we to do? We're to teach them the word. And then secondly, under this is we're to show them the way. We're to show them the way. Uh, we're going we're gonna to track off of this for just a second with showing them the way in a positive direction by saying we're going to warn them about sinfulness. We're going to warn them about what not to do. Students, let's warn our peers. Let's warn the world in a Christ-like and loving fashion in spirit and truth, truth and love. May we, may we warn the world and our, our, even our brothers and sisters of sinfulness. And, and I'm grateful for people that I meet with in a small ratio basis around discipleship, around the word and some coffee on, on a Friday or Saturday morning. And we gather around and we warn one another about some things in our life. But here in verse eight, we see the generation that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart, whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And here, uh, I think of 1 Corinthians 10, and in verse 6, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And so you have Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and they're, they're looking back, going, they, they, they weren't faithful. Verse 7 in, in 1 Corinthians 10 says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Later in verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example. Verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall and so may we warn one another may we warn the coming generation of sinfulness in a culture and a culture that sin isn't just simply present but sin is celebrated when a generation grows up in that culture and the church is silent and the church is silent without believers walking with them in truth, it should not surprise us when a generation raises up and is confused and conformed. And I think of Romans 12, right? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind through his word? And, and, and we see that um, a ministry acquaintance of mine, uh, Shane Pruitt, he's the next gen director for the North American Mission Board. He used to work for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, which is where I got to know him a bit. He said this not long ago. He said, when the church is silent on issues that the culture is screaming about, a whole generation only hears one worldview. Believers must speak up, disciple up, and train up a generation to navigate through cultural issues with truth and love. I believe that's so true. So true. More true today, you know, it seems just in the sense of application. But here, it doesn't mean we go chasing cultural topics and teach to those. We, we don't have to do that. We're faithful to God's word. And we let the word of God do the work. We tell the stories, we teach the scripture. And we use those to, to warn against what not to do and then head toward what we should. Um, my son is, is learning the woodworking hobby as I love um, woodworking and you know, when, it, when I'm teaching him how to use some tools, um, there's a time that I have to stop and, and appropriately teach him what not to do. 
because a nine-year-old can hurt himself. His name's Noah, so he has a knack for building large things out of wood, but he still struggles with, you know, the idea of putting the text in the scripture to design. It's like, man, Noah back in the day had it cool, had quite the task. But my son Noah can now use the scroll saw. If you don't know what a scroll saw is, it looks like a sewing machine, goes up and down. It's a type of, uh, you know, motion that won't just take a finger off as quickly as say a bandsaw or a table saw. And some of you are nodding your head going, I know what you're talking about. But there's a time I, I coach him and teach him on what not to do because I care about his, his well-being, right? May we care about this generation's soul and teach what not to do, right? But then we don't end there. So it's not about no, no, no. Now, if I tell my kids no all the time, that's the only where they're going to know. They're certainly going to know how to repeat it, which naturally I think in our nature we do. You're going to see that in Genesis 3 here in a little while as y'all are moving through Genesis on Sunday mornings. Um, our sinful nature, right? No. <laughs> but here, look, here we've got to show them the way. So we don't just say what not to do and warn them against sinful, but we show them the way. Listen, if you're a believer in this room, you are a next generation minister of the gospel. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 has painted an incredible mission out for you of how God has redeemed you and he's restored you and he's given you and entrusted with you the ministry of reconciliation to point to the one who became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so may we point them to the only way, to the only way. And as we head into this last idea and transition into this, we don't teach the stories and teach the scriptures and tell the testimonies just for the sake of information, but for transformation. Can, can we, as we teach, as we tell, can we pray for this generation? that God would use the stories and the testimonies in the scripture to get a hold of their heart as I'm getting a front row seat at watching this weekend, watching God move amongst this group. Y'all have something special here, church. And, and as you tell and teach the stories, whether it's hallway talk in between a small group, a growth group and worship service, or whether it's at a fellowship or a hangout or in your home one day, as you teach and tell the stories, may we pray for this generation. May we pray. And so here are three ways we can pray. So how are we to pray? Verse six, look at this, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. May they know the ways of the Lord that they may know God in their minds is our first big way to pray. May they know God in their minds. May they know his commands. May they know his precepts, his decrees. May they be able to quote Psalm 119, right? And just work through it. But may they know God in their minds, but then it doesn't stop here. May we pray that they will trust Christ's work in their hearts. May, may they place their saving, may they place their faith in the saving work of Christ. Look at verse seven, coming out of verse six, so that they should set their hope We've talked about living hope this weekend over and over again. May they set their hope in God and not forget the works of the Lord, but keep his commands. So may they not just know the commands, but may they keep them. May they not just know it in their mind, 
but may it settle into their heart that they would be saved, that they would know the Father personally through Christ. And the last one is, is look, one and the same with that. When we come to know him, we begin to follow him. So may we pray that they will follow Jesus with their lives. And verse eight goes on to say, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. May they know what it means to follow Jesus. And so as we're all next generation ministers of the gospel, how do we do this? You might, you might say, David, I'm, I've been disconnected from that generation for a while, but are you disconnected from the father? Go to the one who knows the generation the most, even more so than they do, and pray for them and ask the Lord to move in mighty ways. And then I would just encourage you, engage with this generation. The smallest of interaction throughout this space on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or during the week at some other time will mean the world for helping raise up a generation as they invite their friends into this space, making those friends who may have never seen the inside of a church building, which by the way, my neighbor who came to Christ a year ago had never stepped foot into a church in his life. They might just need to know the way around. Y'all have some wonderful maps, but y'all's building is like ours back home. Um, we built onto it and there's about 12 ways to enter the building, you know, and you're like, where am I? Okay, it's like a little, you know, corn maze. But all that said, what a way to love someone is to show them around and make them feel at home and grab some coffee together and ask about their life. And then we listen. If you'll listen to this generation, man, they've got some stories. They're going through some stuff. They're in a culture it's vastly different than the one I grew up in. Although I know, I know what it's like to be a teenager and all of these people in here do too, right? But man, we pray for you in this information age, supercomputers super in our pockets and the things that come our way in ways that they didn't quite come in the same avenue before. But sin is nothing new. It's been around and, and we know what it means to grow up into Christ and we know what it means to follow Christ. And so we long to model that for you. And so church, can we do that? Can we minister to the next, next generation? Judges 2.10 says this, it says, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. May that not be, may that not be. May the next generation know the glorious deeds, as Psalm 78 tells us. I'm reminded of Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet, right? Let's be that. How are they going to hear if no one speaks? How will they believe if, if they're not able to hear, right? How will they call? Because when they call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Dan Spader done a good bit of research around discipleship last few years. And Dan Spader puts discipleship this way. Our, our mandate is disciple making, which is the whole process from unbeliever to fully trained reproducing disciple maker. We want a generation to rise up and not just know the stories and know the scripture, but to see them turn around and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Back to where we started, somebody made a disciple of you, told you about the Lord. Well, we do the same. We are here today because people were obedient to take the gospel around the globe. What a cool thing. 
What a cool thing. And so as we enter a time of response, I just pray that we will will just tune our hearts to the living hope that, that we have in Christ. And if you have that living hope, I pray that you would you would take this time and, and maybe there's some things that you need to turn over to him. You need to release and go, I'm not gonna walk in these things anymore because I realize your death and your resurrection was for those things. So I'm gonna set that down and look forward to grace, to the living hope that is only found in Christ. And so if you're a believer in this room, I would encourage you to just take this moment of response and may we just set down the things that we know the Lord doesn't have for us and for the things the Lord has for us and the tasks and the mission and the purpose and the goodness, may we take on those things. But I I would just look out here and, and plead with you, consider, whether you're 8, 18, or 88, would you consider, do you have that living hope? Do you have the living hope that's only found through the resurrection of Jesus? You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.